0: Yeah, we're sort of in the stone age of the cloud-native era where you have to know a lot of low-level stuff. You have to do a lot of manual work to get the outcomes you want, and it's super overwhelming. The level of skills you need to have is, is really high, and, and that was the origin. I was trying to build uh, containerized applications, but I didn't want to do it the hard way.
1: You are listening to the KubeList podcast, a show interviewing project maintainers for open source projects with a focus on CNCF sandbox, incubating and graduated projects. Hi, I'm Mark Campbell. Together with Benji DeGroot, we publish the KubeList newsletter dedicated to Kubernetes and the CNCF ecosystem. I'm the founder and CTO at Replicated, where we enable software vendors such as HashiCorp, Puppet, Harness and many others to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem software. Check us out at Replicated.com. Benji is the co-founder and CEO at Shipyard, where they enable teams of all sizes to build, test, and deploy faster and more reliably via their ephemeral environment management platform. Get started with ephemeral environments at shipyard.build. The Kublist podcast is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or you would like to suggest a project, find us on Twitter at ReadKublist. Finally, sign up for the Kubelist newsletter and read previous issues at kubelist.com. On this episode of the podcast, Benji and I were joined by John and Kyle, the co-founders of Slim AI, to talk about their product that helps explore, understand, and secure containers. This conversation really gets into John and Kyle's background on how they view container security and then goes on where John talks about and explains the three principles that they see to ship a secure product and how Slim implements this. Hi again, and welcome to another episode of the Kublis Podcast. Today we're here with John Amaral and Kyle Quest, two co-founders of Slim.ai to talk about their popular project and service. Welcome, John and Kyle. Hey, thanks,
2: Mark. And of course, Benji's here. Hey, Benji. I'm here. I'm excited about KubeCon. We're recording this right before KubeCon. I'm getting excited, Mark. All right. Well, let's dig in.
1: So normally we like to get started with just some backgrounds. John, do you mind getting us started by telling us like your background that led up to creating Slim AI? Sure.
3: My, my role at Slim CEO, and um, I come from a 30-year background in developing products and building technology. You know, These are software products, of course, mostly SaaS throughout those years. Of course, 30 years ago, there wasn't any SaaS, but I've been building software products that are in mostly in the cybersecurity and networking space and um, and you know, going back in time, most recently, prior to SLIM, I was the head of product at Cisco Cloud Security, which is a really big cloud security division of Cisco. For that, I was at a company called CloudLock, which was acquired by Cisco. And we were a uh, another cybersecurity SaaS company uh, in an area called CASB, Cloud Access Security Broker. And then going back in time, uh, similar roles as either CTO or head of engineering or head of product or, or all of those, depending upon the role in companies and a bunch have been successful I've been acquired several times and a couple of really big ones notably Trustwave which is a managed security services provider I was SVP of product there and, and that uh, we sold that to Singapore Telecom so I've been pretty pretty involved in building cybersecurity tech for, for a long time I have a background in software and computer engineering uh, undergraduate and uh, I got an MBA from MIT so, um, been mostly on the business side and um, product side now for several stints, um, and that's also true at uh, at Slim.
1: Great, yeah, and I think we're going to dig into a little bit. You know, there's a super interesting background of the business side, but like pretty technical too. So we'll, we'll we'll you know kind of put that over here for a minute and come back and chat about it. Kyle, you know, the same question. Would you mind kind of sharing with us your background that led up to creating Slim?
0: Sure. I'd say I'm a builder and a breaker. So I've been building cloud-native apps since the early days of um, cloud-native, uh, early days of AWS and all of that. That's when it all started. And on the uh, other side, uh, I've been involved in security in different capacities for quite a while. So I I like breaking stuff and I like uh, doing the opposite. So it's um, kind of a, A combination of those two things that uh, led to the origins of Docker Slim and the tech behind it and um, what I have observed uh, building applications uh, for the cloud and containerized applications kind of served as an input uh, for the initial idea.
1: That's awesome. So let's let's jump in and and chat about the product. So generally, like the folks listening to the podcast are are pretty technical. So don't don't be afraid to dig into like the lowest level that you want to or or, or whatever. But like, what is Slim? What what does the the project do right now?
3: I can start, and then I'll hand over to Kyle. Sure. So one thing we didn't say about our backgrounds like together is that we've been working together for like roughly twenty years, on and off, and then mostly on. So I estimate like. Something like 15 of the last 20 years, approximately. Kyle and I have been working together at at, at companies where we, you know, build cybersecurity products or, you know, build deep tech around uh, SaaS and cloud native. So we didn't just kind of like meet on the street and start this company. We uh, we we've known each other a while and building building really great stuff for a while together um, in our own capacities. At a high level, um, Slim is all about providing developers the ability to understand, evaluate, and quickly build secure containerized applications. And we have a open source that Kyle will tell you all about and give you his perspective on. And we have a, a SaaS platform that's available and free today um, for developers uh, that allows them to really explore, understand, and secure containers. Whether those containers are containers they build themselves, or uh, containers they consume from public registries. And so the high-level you know, value proposition or belief or use case families that we're trying to attack are inherently um, you know, software supply chain security is a, is a real problem. Understanding and securing containers using container best practices is a key factor in being able to limit risk in deployed applications know, reducing attack surface of containers, hardening them, reduce, removing vulnerabilities, really understanding how they run so you can secure them appropriately. It's pretty hard work and it takes a lot of expertise if you don't have good tools to do that. And we've created some really awesome tools that can do a lot of that stuff for you automatically and give the power to the developers so they can build secure apps from the start, right at the point where they turn it into something that will run in the cloud right there. They can um, make their containers more secure. And um, we think that beats securing them after the fact or later or having uh, poorly composed containers, which is a way harder proposition to, to fix after the fact. So that's at a high level what we're all about. And um, I mentioned we have this open source project. Kyle's the uh, creator of that. I'll let him kind of dig in there and tell you all about it and then tell you about our tech on the, as much as you'd like.
0: Sure. It's it's a standard way to uh, start a project solving your own problems, uh, where you know I had a problem, and technically it's a it's a general industry problem where, but the new cloud native applications there was a, a new way to build and deliver them with DevOps, uh, and and uh, there are many definitions of DevOps, but one of my favorites is uh, you build it, you run it. But what does it mean? It's it. You know, there's a lot of potential, and it empowers uh, engineers to own the application full cycle, but it also means that um, the app developers are now expected to be infrastructure experts, and that's just not realistic. So, so there was this disconnect between the theory and reality. And you know, we're technically still in this phase where we are sort of in the stone age of the cloud-native era where you have to know a lot of low-level stuff, you have to do a lot of manual work to get the outcomes you want. And it's super overwhelming. You look at the CNCF landscape, so many different technologies and tools and all of that, and you know, you are just trying to know Kubernetes is a mission impossible. So there's a lot of low-level knowledge you need to have and uh, the skills, of, the level of skills you need to have is, is really high. And, and that was the origin uh, where I was trying to build uh, containerized applications, but I didn't want to do it the hard way. Kelsey Hightower has this awesome Kubernetes the hard way. And I, I think there's a lot of that in the cloud native space where you're doing a lot of stuff the hard way. And I wanted to find this easy way or a straightforward way where I could get the outcomes that I uh, wanted, and that's production-ready containers and secure production-ready containers without uh, doing a lot of manual work. And so uh, I ended up leveraging my security background in order to automate the uh, a number of activities that had to happen, uh, creating um, hardened and, and production-ready containers and that's that's how docker slim was created and it was created during one of the global docker hackathons uh, that they hosted uh, at the end of 2015 and then the the project got uh, a lot of traction because this is a problem that others experienced as well so and it just kept growing and growing from there i remember those
1: Like early, like, yeah, I don't remember if it was 2015 or, you know, or, or or which year it was, but back then those early Docker hackathons, like it was, you know, obviously pre, pre Kubernetes, like Docker zero point, whatever days, and it was early and it was, it was, it was fun. Like lots of, lots of interesting and fun stuff was being built then. I mean, like, like now too, but like it was still very, very early in the whole ecosystem.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I would say we're still early on. Uh, it's still not uh, mature, and this is uh, the exciting part because there's there's a lot more to do and a lot of opportunities. Yeah, we're. I'm excited
2: to talk about those opportunities. One thing I I wanted to ask is uh, I'm a I'm a noob when it comes to to slim, but I've been following Docker Slim for for some time, and I always kind of thought of it as more of a, a way to make my my container is a lot more efficient. Obviously, you know when you reduce the surface area of the libraries and all that stuff. Obviously, there's a huge security component to that. And you guys have both been talking about the security angle, which totally makes sense. But I just thought for maybe a second, can you can you tell us a little bit about some of the like efficiencies you might get just as an operator if I were to run my images through Docker Slim? Like it seems like there's also some speed gains to be had. Is is that accurate, or is that just a misassumption by me?
3: There are a few the and I'll kind of parse out like the various value propositions The first is um, you know docker slim and slim are Swiss army knives of of container uh, evaluation uh, analysis and optimization or we also we use the term hardening as well for uh, what we do to secure them it's not uncommon and in fact I think it's generally common that uh, folks who build containers uh, don't um, efficiently or effectively scrutinize the, the code they have inside the containers. They, they sort of have to know what it takes to get their container to run, uh, meaning that they add the parts that are necessary to run, and that's normal when you be, you know build code. You can't you can't miss something that makes your app run. But what they generally don't know is the parts that they don't need, and it's pretty common when you build from a base image like a base OS image like Debian, and then you add in Node and and, and you know, developers want to go fast, so they want to build things um, with you know con- images that have convenient tooling or you know robust package sets, etc. Those things from our and we our systems have scanned like literally millions of containers. We see that um, on average, there's um, way more files than necessary to run the app, and there's all the risk and baggage that comes along with that, including um, you know inefficiencies and. Speed and startup times, and of course, vulnerabilities and um, and risk surface. So you know container best practices state you know like three high level things, right? Um, and these are the kind of maybe the three core ones. So you should know what you're shipping to production. You should minimize what you're shipping to production to only those things you need for your app to run. and you should remove as many vulnerabilities as possible. There are all sorts of operational and security ramifications of those three things. On the size part, um, what we've seen is is as you reduce container size, um, you get operational efficiencies and even sometimes cost efficiencies, certainly in CICD pipeline times. Scanners work faster on smaller containers. Uh, things flow through your networks faster. They they pull faster. They push faster. They When they load, if you're using something like serverless containers or even using Fargate or one of these um, you know container um, services on popular IaaS systems those containers um, you're, you're charged <laughs> for those containers uh, when the service asks for the container to load and then start up and what we see for ephemeral workloads is that if a container has a long startup and load time but a relatively short ephemeral working lifetime that your bill can actually reflect more more cost on the startup and load than it does on the actual lifespan of the working container. So there's these efficiencies and speed and performance gains that can be gotten depending upon the context. And then storing very large images around everywhere builds up over time and it causes drag on your operation, on your developer's desktops, in your CICD pipeline, etc. And storage cost isn't free either. And depending upon the system you use to store your containers, that can be more or less impacting. On the security side, I think the effects are even more profound. With software supply chain risks today, there's a lot of scrutiny on vulnerability counts. Vulnerability scanning is is really prominent. And folks who create containers are getting a lot of pushback from container users. Think of that as, hey, I ship containers to my customers as the software I expect them to run in their SaaS. Or I'm running security for a firm's SaaS. I'm downstream from the developers. And I have to reach a certain security profile for the running systems. The scrutiny caused by Log4j and even the um, you know other popular you know kind of large scale supply chain attacks like Solar Winds have caused a heightened sense of urgency to, to to make vulnerabilities go to zero. That's pushing back on developer teams and causing a lot of churn and a lot of work. And if you're a company that ships containers broadly to the internet, for instance, think of any foundational infrastructure container that you can find on Docker Hub. um, Those publishers are getting a lot of interaction, a lot of feedback, and a lot of pressure from users to have vulnerability-free containers. And it's not easy to make containers vulnerability-free. And so that dynamic... It's causing a lot of interest in use of our tools, which help you remove vulnerabilities and and unnecessary space. And adhere to those three best practices I talked about, getting those to happen as you build, but automatically through DevOps, is a really big value proposition. So size and security come along together as you make these optimizations. Kyle, do you want to add to that?
0: Yes, I'll add uh, with security. So one of the interesting things in security, one of the... Concepts and security that that's super desired is proactive security. This is, you want to be proactive as opposed to reactive. And if you look at the traditional vulnerability management, this is a reactive security control. Uh, you have vulnerabilities discovered, then sca- uh, your scanners will have checks for them, and then they will uh, find those vulnerabilities in your containerized application. So. You know that's great to do. Uh, it, it's important to have the uh, the reactive controls, but it's also desired uh, as much as possible and realistic to be uh, proactive. And one of the uh, uh, fundamental approaches with uh, Docker Slim and Slim is about proactive security. So you throw away the stuff that you don't need, and that's proactively eliminating problems, reducing the surface. And and this is, you know, that this is one of those um, things that's hard to do manually traditionally you know the, the idea of uh, proactive security and the concept of least privilege existed for decades but it's the implementation side that's been tricky and trying to automate that is is, uh, is really a game changer and that's what we're trying to do and uh, I think the same is true for the size and other hardening activities uh, it's it's super, low level requires a lot of domain knowledge and it's uh, time consuming uh, optimizing the size so your images uh, push faster and, and they start up faster and all of that and and being able to automate that is, um, uh, is super powerful because what you need in in production is different from what you need uh, when you're developing when you're in production you want to have as little as possible in the app in your container. But when you're developing, you need developer-friendly containers so you can uh, develop easier, debug easier. And if you look at those kind of developer-friendly container images and all of that, Ubuntu and Ubuntu-based images are pretty much it. And I'd say Ubuntu, and to some degree, Debian has been the operating system um, of the cloud. If you look at the last, you know, 10, 15, or more years, uh, they, they dominated uh, the DevOps scripting space, all those cookbooks, uh, recipes. Uh, a lot of it was um, built for Ubuntu or, or Debian. So there, there's a lot of this critical mass that, that developers or DevOps engineers are used to leveraging uh, to build their um, environments, either containerized or non-containerized. And there was... Critical mass and gravity around that, and that was another kind of driving force behind the original project. Because I used Ubuntu images to build containers at that time. I didn't want to change the the config scripts, all all of that, uh, throwing it away. Going with another operating system it was a was a big ask. Just going from one version of the same OS to another one is uh, is is a significant effort. So you know. Being able to use what I had was super important, and that—that's what um, I was able to achieve. Uh, I could still use Ubuntu-based images, and then get the outcomes uh, that were necessary to have production-ready containers. Mm-hmm. So this is the the developer experience side of uh, that is super important as well. It's not just about pushing uh, the images faster; it's it's also about uh, developing faster. As well, and you develop faster in an environment that's more developer friendly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I <laughs> quick,
2: quick question for you. Um, it could be just a yes or no, but you know, in back in the day when I was doing a little bit more developing, I'm, I'm not really anymore. But you know, Alpine. That was like that was the answer. Like, use Alpine. Super low uh, surface area. I feel like Ubuntu Slim is kind of the new hotness now. Just what, what's the if you were if you're a listener. And you're like, I want to get started. I'm gonna get Docker Slim integrated soon, but I'm just starting today. What is what's the image that you just as a obviously an expert in this Kyle? What would what would be the image that you think you
0: start with now? Ubuntu Slim. What, what do you think? Um, I I'd still go, but whatever standard images they have. If you look at the language specific images, for example, for Go or Node or Python, the main ones are Debian based. And because of that, there's enough critical mass around that. So that's the best thing to go with.
2: So don't use Alpine anymore.
0: So I I used to tell everyone, just use Alpine. But Alpine's kind of... I'm
2: pretty sure Alpine's kind of...
0: So here's the deal about Alpine. I I think it's an awesome project. But there are certain things people are not aware of. Uh, There are two types of Alpine users. The experts who know the ins and outs of Alpine and they understand the trade-offs. And the newbies who heard something about it and they try to use it and it seems like it works for them. And it's, it's, it's like this for a while and maybe if you're lucky, uh, you'll be fine. But there's a lot more to know about that uh, than, than just that. For example, the package manager ecosystem. You know, but in, in the commercial uh, application development space, you don't always control you know, uh, the operating system and the package manager because uh, you, you uh, work with third-party vendors and they give you RPMs or you need um, a FIPS encryption and because you, you're, you're going after a, a compliance mandate, uh, either a government mandate or some other commercial mandate. And you get FIPS encryption with uh, Red Hat. You don't get it with Ubuntu or definitely not Alpine. So you, you end up with the operating system you have to use. And that's a big deal. So sometimes maybe uh, you can uh, use that, but there are a lot of other interesting, um, things to be aware of. And, and the, the problems that like wh- one thing about Alpine is that it's not a standard Linux distribution. It's not a GNU Linux distribution, which is probably the number one thing people are not aware of. So what does it mean? It means it's not compatible with your Ubuntu, Debian, Red Hat uh, operating systems. And a big part of it is the uh, libc component package. That's the foundation for a lot of applications. They have their own uh, muzzle libc implementation and it's not um, a binary compatible. And the, the, there's a lot of interesting things around it. So, And because people who hear about Alpine, they see that, oh, the image is small, I'll just go use it. Again, maybe your use cases will be just fine, but there's a lot of unknown that you need to be aware of. Right, so
2: there's there's no magic bullet. Yeah, is the is the truth. Uh, back in the day, I felt like Alpine was a little magic bullet, but of, of course, for all the things, for a lot of the reasons, and, and it's really helpful to to lay them out like you have um, of of all the things that you need to consider. Um, one other thing I wanted just to uh, to just poke on a little bit, and then we're gonna we're gonna switch gears a little bit. Is I think it's really interesting. You you brought up the point of development being a very different environment than production, and I think most of our, our listeners understand that. But I think really cool technology that's coming out with, I guess it was, I think it was out of beta for uh, 1.24 is the ephemeral containers um, that attach. So like, for example, to be explicit, like, oh, you want some debugging tools or a higher verbose log level. You, you don't want that in your production containers. You do want them locally and making sure that you understand what packages is, are where and the ability to, in production, actually access those things. So I think that's really cool. Um, and it's a really good point. One thing that we wanted to to touch on a little bit, and maybe John can speak to this a bit. So you started this cool project, Docker Slim. You guys have worked together for for some time. Um, what made you guys to start to to start Slim AI itself? Like, how did that get going? How, how did? How, what's the story there?
3: So, as, as Kyle mentioned, and as we preluded, there are a lot of these um, you know challenges around shipping secure applications to prod, right? And you know if Kubernetes is the organism. Containers are the cells, right? And of course, Colin um, and I have been building very large-scale, you know, very important. Uh, I'd say in general, cloud-native security applications. These are the the kind of cloud-native applications that secure other cloud-native applications and secure very large sets. At the last company we we're at before this, our our cloud-native application that we were. Involved with had more than a hundred million users being protected by it worldwide, very large scale. Um, and you know, we were building um, all containerized. We had a very large team, a very um, wide team, separate. You know, like um, kind of working on that DevOps kind of mindset. You build it, you own it. And, you know, we were really engaged in the thick of this of this uh, of this problem. To to maintain like, consistency across all these teams and, and ensure that like, from the developer's desk looking out, we were building the secure and most um, well-composed applications as we could. Uh, and you know, again, of course, we had every tool <laughs> available. But we ran into conditions there where, um, regardless of like, every resource in the world, every tool in the world, we were stuck. With bloated containers and and inability, sometimes even because they were so large, we couldn't like run them in the latest platform. Um, tons and tons of vulnerabilities and you know lots of software lifecycle scrutiny on on you know vulnerability reduction. So we had to do the really hard work to get these things secure. And you know we were always lamenting about we wish we had higher velocity in building secure apps natively. And we'd been in security, um, in building security products and companies for a long time. So Kyle, uh, we were together. He mentioned this project, Docker Slim, uh, to me while we were meeting one time. and reminded me that it exists and said, hey, it looks like it's catching on. It's pretty cool. Um, And then we had a number of conversations. I I took a look at it. We started talking to some of the users. And... um, and as we, you know, started to brainstorm and imagine, you know, first of all, why are users adopting Docker Slim? You know, Kyle had this great base of users that were kind of like ardent fans of it, and and adoption and a number of stars was rising. As we dug into that more and started to think about the implications of why and and talk to users, it was a pretty clear signal coming out of that. It's that, is that you know, of course, lots of folks struggle with this combination of like. Lack of expertise, managing complexity and dealing with security of containerized applications. It's kind of, you know, we can't secure it because it's it's hard and I don't have the expertise. I Kyle mentioned this earlier, like hardening is like an expert task. The other part about it is, is doing the work to secure containers as containers is kind of a job that doesn't fit, right? It's like I'm an I'm an engineer, I write code, I want to go fast at writing code, I don't want to prematurely optimize things in my environment. But I would love to ship secure containers if it's easy, and lots of engineers don't have the knowledge or capacity or time to do it well. And so usually this stuff gets kicked down the road. Somebody in SecOps or you know somebody downstream kind of figures out they need to secure it, and then you try to wrap security around things later, or 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 worse, there's a kind of this delayed signal that comes back to the engineering team that says you got to fix that, but it's always inconvenient. So. We thought, wow, this is kind of um, we see users of Docker Slim trying to tackle those problems and be more proactive, like Kyle was mentioning. And we could completely empathize with the problem space given our own experiences in building cloud native security applications for a long time. And then um, and then you know, we kind of we're entrepreneurial and you know, we've been doing this a while, building companies and such. And started to explore the idea that the you know Kyle's vision and reasons he built this is a pretty market-wide uh, problem space, and that there really wasn't technology aimed at this kind of proactive automated automation that starts with developers moving out. And so, um, you know, we kind of put together our ideas. We um, got together with some other friends of ours that had built companies with us before. Uh, we've been part of uh, building companies in those companies. And we, um, you know, this was around about 2020, and I put, you know, decided to go, go and do it, and um, and left, you know, left uh, what we were doing, and and um, and started this company, and haven't looked back since. Kyle, you want to add to that, or
0: um, or, or embellish that commentary? A, a couple of things to add. So one of the challenges uh, that um, I've observed over and over again is that one of the problems that prevents developers and enge- engineers enge- the engineering teams from you know getting to uh, the production ready containerized applications and uh, uh, cloud native applications in general is actually understanding the application Truly understanding the application. So, you mean from like, a, from like an architecture perspective, or, or what do you mean? In, in terms of what it needs at the infrastructure level, in terms of the resources it needs, the interactions it has. So, from like a network perspective, who do I need to talk to?
2: Um, obviously, there's firewall rules, or maybe using a mesh, or how many replica sets do I need to have? Okay, obviously.
3: Or, or, or even more simpler, like what, what, what parts of the operating system does it need to run? Yeah, right. and, That's an important hardening question.
0: And, and also, for example, what kind of resources the application needs. You know, For example, it needs a lot of memory or disk space or CPU. Uh, any kind of way you slice it, uh, there's not enough knowledge uh, about it. Uh, th- there might be some kind of high-level knowledge about the application the developers themselves have, but the applications are like icebergs. You see only the tip of the iceberg, and in order to have the application running in production, you need to understand what's below the waterline. And that's a manual process.
2: Right. So it's really the DevOps perspective that you're kind of taking um, when you're looking at at applications, especially the containers as a whole. That that totally makes sense. You know, I actually have a slide in, in my deck that is, a, is an iceberg. I don't know if you saw that if that's, or you came up with that on your own, but I, I, I really appreciate the iceberg analogy. That is production is just that little bit of tip on the top and the rest of it is you don't even want to know. Um, and that goes for the software development lifecycle, let alone the various components and containers that you're using. Um, one other question I did really want to understand about Slim is like just a little bit on the technical side. Just walk me through high level, um, well, kind of low level, I guess, if I, okay, so I'm over at Shipyard, we use, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this because it's actually an attack vector, but we, we use, I, you know, I don't even know what image we use. It's, I'm pretty sure it's Debian flavored uh, and we do some of our own uh, Python stuff and, and, you know, we've got some Go binaries that we have in other places in, in, our, in our stack. Would I actually just go and I would run Docker Slim as like part of my CI process uh, and then, if I did do that, how does it validate that you're not actually taking something out that I actually need? Like that—that that to me is really interesting. Like, how do I give you a Docker file, and then you guys give me back a Docker file that is more efficient, uh, slim down, slim—good name, slim down—and um, and and more secure. Like, what's the what's kind of the technology workflow there? So we have two parts. We have Docker Slim as our
3: open source project, and we have Slim. AI, portal.slim.dev, uh, which is our SaaS. Um, and we have a bunch of free tools there. And, um, and so depending upon the kind of scale and scope of the implementation, Docker Slim or Slim.ai might be one of them might be more appropriate in the first part that you said like if i want to plug this into my cicd into my devops workflows then that's more appropriate to do with slim.ai and what slim.ai does it's got a, a natural integrations built on it it's a saas you know saas platform application and it connects into any registry um, public and private registries it also has apis and other kinds of integration points where you can easily connect it to say github actions or whatever you like and through those APIs and registry in- interactions, um, users of that platform can provide access to where a- their containers live or where their containers are being built, et cetera. And in that case, um, if you were trying to do this kind of more proactive automated automation and evaluation, and this is the way you know it's being used you know, quite a bit, is that you'd kind of create a, a workflow through your CI C D You'd make a connection to your private registries where your private containers are, or maybe even a public place, and you would trigger every time something's built or something changes for us to pull that container into our pipeline, evaluate it, and then uh, act on it, harden it, optimize it, vulnerability scan it, you
2: name it. We can do all these things. So you guys pull in my images, not my Docker file. Is that what it is? So you like, would connect to my registry?
3: Yeah, connector registries, right? Exactly, and um, and Docker Slim is different. Um, I'll get into the minute differences there. But anyway, for uh, for an integration at scale into uh, pipelines, etc., Slim Portal what you need, and that that allows kind of fast integration and a lot of assistive tooling and vulnerability scanning, and you name it. It's like gives a a very refined and, and complete environment so that you can not only scan and learn and but you can do things like understand changes between two containers, vulnerability differences between two containers, optimize the container, show the differences between the hardened and regular and you know kind of like pre-slimmed container, et cetera. So it gives you a lot of evaluative tooling that developers can use to see what changes. And that was part of your question. And then you can automate this at scale and go fast. You asked, like, how do I know you're not taking out stuff I don't need? And that's the magic in this. Kyle was talking about application intelligence uh, kind of loosely. We watch your containers run while they're being stimulated. And then we, we observe the resources they need. And then when we create a new container, we only remove the parts that aren't necessary for, for the successful operation. So we emit a new container that is a functional replica of the original, but doesn't have any of the parts you don't need. And you have the ability to tune that and, and, and optimize the profile around that. But mostly that knowledge comes from watching them run. And, and we have a mode of the tool where you can actually receive a container that has instrumentation in it from us through that automation process and then go run it in your test environments, wherever you'd like. And then we can interact with the results from where you've run that. So there's lots of tools and techniques we have that are made to build a confidently hardened container that can be automated and proactive.
1: So I I run it in my test environment as a way to like exercise all of the functionality of the application so that you can observe that I assume that's that's the the, the value in me actually like running it
0: right yeah th- there's a uh, there's a little bit more to it and I'd like to go back to the company name Slim AI AI actually stands for application intelligence and like John mentioned and that's the uh, Really, the main difference between a lot of tooling in the cloud-native space that's more infrastructure-centric, focusing on the application itself and building that application intelligence really allows us to automate a lot of activities that you would do manually. And the application intelligence is collected in many different ways, and that also includes uh, static analysis of the application and the container, and also dynamic analysis of the application and the container where that application is running. And on the um, interaction side of things, we obviously benefit from using the tests that you have, the integration tests, the end-to-end tests, but we also have uh, built-in probing, automated probing capabilities that also makes it possible for us to uh, see what the application is doing and what it needs and all of that. Is that, is that EBPF? Because
2: I love talking about supply chain and I love talking about EBPF on every episode whenever possible. Are you guys using
0: EBPFs for those probes? It's different kinds of probes. Those are more application interaction probes. And EBPF fits better on the sensor side. So we have a sensor that is responsible for collecting telemetry. Uh, the current sensor we have is uh, a container-level sensor. And Uh, we'll be expanding to a model where we have a system-level sensor. And the difference there is that uh, the container-level sensor is embedded in the container image itself. And the system-level sensor lives outside of the containers that you have. And uh, there are a lot of interesting opportunities, but also trade-offs and constraints. For example, with the BPF, you have uh, kernel dependencies in terms of what can be done but the P- 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 BPF based on the version and all of that, so it's a trade-off based on the application environment that you have.
2: Of course, yeah. No, I I, I don't know how much you listen to to the the Cube list podcast, but I love to talk about EBPFs and supply chain, and I also love to talk about Wasm because I'm like a
0: CNCF hipster over here. I had a presentation at uh, the last KubeCon about uh, the EBPF libraries and building um, applications, but with the BPF. Actually, so I'm happy to talk more about that as well.
1: Oh yeah, I think we definitely we definitely do. EBPF is definitely you know pretty popular in this in this ecosystem. But before we do, I want to kind of go back, right? Like you talk about this this hard problem to solve. You know, John, you, I think you you actually described it in your intro as we're going to explore, understand, and secure containers. And you, then then you just said that you're doing that for both first and third party container images. Um, obviously, this is a hard problem to solve. You know, we talked a little bit about like the the transition to cloud native ecosystem and the separation of like SRE and app dev zone and the infrastructure kind of creating this need. There's other folks in this space though, right? Like Slim is doing a great job, but like there's Sneak and Sysdig and ChainGuard and Anchor and Aqua and Claire that that do similar things. All is open source. We've had a lot of them on the podcast too. And what I want to actually help helps me a little bit. Um, just help me understand like. The differences, like what does Slim do that's unique and differentiating in this space that sets like your solution apart from the rest of the, the competition right now?
3: I think we're we're one of the only ones that's focusing on this kind of proactive and automated hardening solution. So the and we're we're trying to build tooling that makes that usable and repeatable and automatable for our our users and customers. And we're, um, you know, kind of expanding the, you know, the concepts of that, and making use of this um, application intelligence Kyle talked about to really have our system automatically understand the functional operation of your of of the container, and not just the container. Our system can also work on groups of containers, networks of containers. Think Docker Compose files, and so. We can make observations about that, and from that observations, do a lot of these um, securing and optimizing tasks. So we're we're gonna really you know go deep with that concept, make sure that developers have access to all that. I think there's another part of it that um, that is really important is that we've spent a lot of energy and time and and development on making sure that developers understand. Um, this I, I said there were three parts to uh, to best practices. Right, know the software you're shipping. Only ship to production what's needed to run your application and remove as many vulnerabilities as possible. But our our goal is to make that something very friendly to developers and to the DevOps folks who live in that kind sort of create and build space of the of the DevOps lifecycle. And so our our commitment to developer friendly tooling. Uh, for instance, if you were to go on our um, our slim site uh, our portal you know you'd find there i think the only kind of functionally useful container differ that can show you exactly what changes between two containers this is designed to demystify change for developers. Um, if you go there, we can do the same with our vulnerability scanning where you can easily target two containers and say, show me the vulnerability changes and the compositional changes between those two containers. It really helps folks very quickly answer the question, what changed between stable and latest, for instance? Am I getting more vulnerabilities or less? What What did the author of that container change in that? And now how, how can I set up a profile that you know, kind of optimizes a rendition of that that will run optimally in my production.
1: So John like I've qu- like on that like you're you're checking that at, at CI time, right? So, you know, like I think that's ridiculously valuable what you just described like, you know, like are we increasing the number of CVEs? Have we decreased the number of CVEs because like there's dependencies in the image that aren't in the code that I wrote to your point, you know, with the the three things like I'm not even aware of these dependencies in the image and all of a sudden there's a new like patchable or unpatchable vulnerability, but are you the way you just described that really is like, I, I'm, I'm guessing there's more to the solution, and that's what I'm trying to get to here. Like, you, you talk about like at release time, at CI, at build time, like there were this many mediums or high vulnerabilities, and now this next version, there's this many mediums and highs, and here's the diffs of the container image. But, like, do, do you also get into like, you know, a vulnerability that was disclosed a week later after I shipped that image, like continuously scanning them?
3: Yeah, our system can do that as well. Um- you know, every time that that container builds you know it, you can, um, we can do what you just described but then you can also automate our system through the APIs. remember I mentioned that we can have connectors going into uh, your registries and such. So our system can be triggered to rescan everything and, um, and we'll be building more automations there that kind of proactively do that but, but yeah we're um, one dimension of our platform is um, is this vulnerability scanning capability that is um, like super simple. To attach to your registries and um, and gives you all sorts of power to understand and differentiate uh, vulnerability change, even ongoing vulnerability change. The other cool part about our vulnerability system is it's multi engine, and we have ambitions to add you know pretty much any engine to it. So you not only can scan it, but you can get scan results and per- perspectives from more than one scanner, which is what we find people really want to do uh, because uh, not all the scanners are equal, yeah. or and they have like they have differences. They do they don't uh, have a full kind of intersection. Of their of their findings,
1: yeah. Like I mean, that's how you know. At the end of the day, if you're competing one scanner to another, you know, you want to find things at the other scanner. That's how you differentiate like the quality of a scanner. And you know, for us, we ship software into third party you know environments, and you know, we we played that game for a little while where it was like, well, this scanner reports this, and this scanner reports that, and it kind of turns into they're all valid findings, but like really difficult. So we just said, you know what. This is a scanner. We're going to publish a scanner that we use, and we're going to like commit to any high vulnerabilities that this scanner detects. And the idea of like multi scanner is, is definitely interesting because it gives somebody who's shipping software the ability to kind of like you know say I, it doesn't really matter which of the scanners you're going to use. Like we we have scanned it against that.
3: Yeah, think of the consumer side um, effect here, right? So, for for any company that ships containers to their customers who use them in their SaaS, for instance, I think you might fall into that same class. The producer of that container is at the whim of of um, of scrutiny based on whichever scanner the consumer decided to use. Right. But you know, based on you know, there is like quite a few of these scanners out there, you know. now you've got to kind of answer questions about all the scanners because you're at the, at the whim of the person who's observing your, your, your scans. And I think that increasingly, there's pressure on publishers to respond. So we saw that as a kind of an information asymmetry or, 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 or um, coordination problem. Like uh, people producing containers it very often want to or need to be able to make observations across a, f- a set of scanners. And by the way, those consumers can use our platform as well to to see results across more than one scanner. So it kind of um, speeds up the process of of coordination on scan results.
2: Interesting. So, okay, I want to ask, before we run out of time, because we're coming up here, um, I want to ask a little bit about the open source project itself Um, in regards to who's contributing here. Is it mostly the the Slim AI folks? How's the community doing? How do you determine roadmap, um, maybe a little bit what's on the roadmap? And then also, like, you know, like if I am super interested, or I'm a, you know, I'm a person listening to the podcast, how can I start getting involved? What's the, what's the right place to go to, to start being a, a part of this?
0: I have a few things there in terms of um, where the things are with the, with the open source project. Obviously, it's not Kubernetes. Not a lot of projects out there are at that level. Only a few Kubernetes is, is um, an outlier when it comes to the uh, standard projects that are out there. But relatively speaking, to other projects, uh, we you know we have a lot of attention. We've had a lot of uh, contributions as well. Some of them are more ongoing uh, than others. So it's not just uh, slim employees. We we had uh, people from other kind of companies or or just. Um, open source contributors developers contributing for example arm 64 support was added by somebody who had um who had a need on uh, on arm 64 uh, machines so we got that kind of contribution based on an external user in general we have quite a few open issues on github and uh, the, there's a growing number of um, Good first issues uh, that that will be good for new contributors, and um, a number of feature requests. We don't have a formal roadmap mapped to many years ahead, and a lot of it is really driven by the community asks. It's very dynamic from that perspective. Uh, People ask uh, what they
2: want. Is the community communicating on on GitHub issues, particular to the Docker Slim project, or is there other places that I should go to come check out more of what's, what's happening?
0: So GitHub issues, GitHub discussions, uh, the, uh, the usual forums on Discord, that's probably the most um, active one. And then we also have um, a Slim AI community Discord server, where there's a lot more going on in terms of you know the, uh, um, a lot of use cases related to the discussions related to the podcasts and all of that. So if, if you want to focus more uh, on that side of things, that's also a great resource. So the good
2: Discord is I go to slim.ai and at the bottom there I click on that Discord and that's that's the place to
0: find it. Yeah, that's a good uh, entry point. Awesome.
2: The other question around all of that is: early on, you started this project. Was was it just was
0: it just you Kyle? So during the um, hackathon, uh, a Docker hackathon, uh, yeah, there was a, a small team uh, that that were worked together, kind of two and a half people. And then um, after that, after uh, the hackathon was done, uh, it was mostly me for a while. And then you know, as people discovered the projects, they filed issues, and then they uh, made suggestions and, and contributions. So over time, it kind of uh, grew organically. So a really nice uh, open
2: source story, if you will, uh, of all that stuff. Now, um, I believe it's written in Go, is that correct? Just from a... Yes, yes, it's, uh, it's Go. Super cool. And then, uh, do you wish that it was written in Rust? Just kidding. Joke. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to to trying some of this stuff out. I mean, I know that when I took a look uh, the other day, I was in uh, like an examples repo, I want to say, and um, I believe that there was a bunch of stats there that were talking about how much you can minify these base images to these smaller images, and and that really caught my eye. I obviously talked about at the beginning of the podcast, but I think that's really cool too. And I, I just want to point out to the listeners, like I think it's worth you know uh, we we deal with a lot of containers, and and those registries get really big really quickly. So I'm super interested just on that, let alone on security component of all these things. Do you guys have any community meetings in particular, or is that just more coming up? We have um, pretty common, you know. Live
3: streams and uh, on Twitch, and we have also, um, you know, like a pretty vibrant program to interact in our community through Discord, etc. And we, we travel around a lot to KubeCon, we have booths there and such. We go to all these places, and lots of times developers uh, kind of join up with us there. In fact, Kyle and and uh, one of our other developers led a, um, a Docker Slim hackathon, like literally right at one of these events, so yeah, we there's there's lots of ways to interact.
0: Yeah, the last KubeCon, KubeCon EU.
3: Yeah, and so um, yeah, we're trying to help and you know teach and inform and welcome and it's, it's pretty pretty fun and open community. Lots of stuff going on there. We have uh, a community leader that is is you know he he's full time trying to help make sure our community is being nurtured and we try to build a lot of new content. We you know write a lot of articles and do a lot of live streams, etc. And um, you know if you raise your hand or you come into our into our discord we're going to interact with you and we're going to give you as much love as as you'll accept <laughs> and so uh, yeah we're uh, we're all about making people successful and we love interacting with people we learn a ton all the time and
2: it's and it's fun cool um so just before we wrap up um i think it's always interesting to understand you guys have raised some money i believe that's correct. you're venture backed i believe
3: we are, uh, yep. Yeah, we've we've um, it's public information. We've raised about forty one million dollars in uh, in financing oh, and, wow. in, in two rounds. Uh,
2: yeah, wasn't I didn't mean the exact numbers, but that's that's impressive. That's awesome. Um, so right now, you you mentioned earlier that you're not. Monetizing. So, so as a company, you guys are kind of just heads down, building out this community, building out this product, and getting it as good as as can be. Is there are there monetization plans uh, on the horizon? And also, if that's not appropriate, feel free to say, "Hey, we'll we'll talk about that in six months or a year." But I was just curious to ask you.
3: I can give you some high-level concepts there. I won't get into too many details. But um, as as we've talked about, we started really investing a lot in the core technology and the open source. And then that's really taken off and grown. We've got, I don't know, like 15,200 stars now. And the project has just been really successful. Tons and tons of downloads. I think more than a half a million downloads, et cetera. So Docker Slim certainly taken off and been a great... Project for us to really explore and learn, and interact with great developers, and and just um, you know kind of I think produce some really good stuff for, for the community. We we then switched phases into building out the nucleus of our SaaS capabilities, and it's always been our intention to kind of uh, make that a companion to the needs of folks who've been doing Docker Slim. In in helping them uh, go from from a kind of local tool that's mostly command line that they can use you know to to work on images in their local environments to something that allows them to scale and uh, interact with containers in a much more user friendly and integrated way and then we've brought a lot of analytics and tooling and the um, parts of the core engine of Docker Slim in there so that you can start to perform. Workflows and, and use cases that kind of allow you to build this kind of automated, proactive security and uh, assessment and, and hardening and optimization kind of flows. And that free tooling that, that can I you can go and sign up right you know right now if you want on uh, portal.slim.dev is uh, is widely adopted. So you know thousands and thousands of users come there and it's like growing you know faster every month and we're getting a ton of interest and in adoption. And in the Slim Discord, we've got you know mix of users in there like from our free and SaaS, and from our open source kind of a kind of a group um, group hug there across the board we are of course working with and you'll see it on there uh, in our on our website join and become our design partner we're working with a whole bunch of um, a lot you know quite a few uh design partners who are working with us to evolve what i'll call our pre-commercial solution this is like a a more enterprise ready, organization ready solution building from our, you know, our SaaS that we've been you know, had out there for about a year. So we're in that process right now, really working through and making the solution awesome and doubling down on a bunch of core value propositions and, and workflows and really just, you know, experiencing and interacting with users who use it every day and um and and plug it into these workflows and, you know, trying to, you know, reach some of the objectives we talked about. So, you know, moving into a more commercial um period is, uh, or a commercial period, is our next phase. Um, you know We've got some work ahead of us yet to continue to refine and optimize and expand our solution. And, and of course, we want to build awesome products. So, uh, yeah, it's coming. Uh, I can't say when, but we are definitely moving in that direction.
0: Yeah, we're trying to monetize the supply chain value for the enterprises because there's a lot of demand there. And there's one more thing I wanted to add. Uh, we have a Docker desktop extension. Which is also great for developers—a great way to uh, experience Slim and, and get value locally, and also get uh, some of the cloud value as well.
2: Yeah, no, I mean that—that that, that makes a whole lot of sense. The supply chain stuff's been on 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 all of our minds for some time, especially with solar winds and all these other things that've been going on. But I, I think that's a really burgeoning space to be looking at. Um, all right, well, guys, it was really great having you on. And uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time and uh, look forward to meeting you face-to-face and, and, and watching where uh, we're Slim and, and Doctor Slim and Slim AI go. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot.
1: That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on this show or if you would like to suggest a topic, head over to kublist.com. I'm Mark Campbell, CTO at Replicated, where we enable cloud-native software vendors to operationalize and scale the distribution of their modern on-prem applications to their largest enterprise customers. Check us out at replicated.com. My co-host is Benji Degroot, CEO at Shipyard, where they enable isolated ephemeral environments on every code change for companies of all sizes. Check them out at shipyard.build. This show is brought to you by HeavyBit, the leading investor and developer for startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. And finally, don't forget to sign up for the Kubelist weekly newsletter and read previous issues at kubelist.com.